overkill, profusion, excess, surplus, too much, abundance. When it comes to the body of Christ, God is just a big show-off, heaping spiritual gifts on His people in an embarrassment of riches. I'm Laura Pace. And I'm Jessica Denny. You're listening to Embarrassment of Riches, where we explore the wisdom, passion, power, and grace that God has showered on the women of Dallas Bible. Good evening, and welcome to Embarrassment of Riches. Laura, it is our second annual... Ooh, second annual. Second annual mid-season man sessions. It is. Is it too early to say Merry Christmas? No. Yeah, because by the time this comes out, it'll be even more Christmassy, right? Well, it'll be post-Christmassy. Oh, we're doing it post-Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Happy New Year! <laughs> yeah, we're doing it. We're releasing- Merry New Year. Merry New Year, but we're releasing it in January. Okay. So, well, now they've seen how the sausage is and made. We that- recorded it early. <laughs> You used, you used another one of my favorite expressions. <laughs> there you go. Actually, we were out with Kyle, or no, not with Kyle. I was not out with your husband. I was on a double date with Pat and Annie, and I had something, I said something, and Pat said, Jessica Denny has rubbed off on you. What was it? Oh, what did I say? Who's to say? That's what I said. Who's to say? And I did my hands like you do. <laughs> That's funny. Well, um, I don't even I don't even consider that an expression. That's mm-hmm. just, just that's just filler. <laughs> there you go. Well, when when we do mid mid season man sessions, we're go big or go home. We went all the way to the top. We did tonight. With us is our own senior pastor, Aaron Armstrong, <laughs> wearing some really cool shoes. What? What? Of course. But I'm, you know, I'm questioning here. the color of those shoes as a good. Aggie. They are not burnt orange. They're I don't more... know. You know, I yeah, I get a lot of stuff about those. Those are I say that they're not burnt orange. Okay, all There's right. A Florida Gator orange. Okay, and um, with a that's burnt, not a burnt gator hue. Orange. <laughs> yeah, I, that's I, I don't, not Gator. I could orange. be stretching a little bit on Maybe that. Maybe Tennessee. That was my, that was my you, justification. I'll give you a Tennessee. Dude, I cannot orange. do Tennessee either. They but, are cool. Uh, they're cool, vintage-looking New Balance, like I had you. back when I was at A and M. The high so schoolers keep pass. saying I can preach in them. You Ooh, know, we can do church on Sunday morning, and I'm like, I don't. YouTube. I don't know that we can get away with that. Please I think do I it. saw like a YouTube video or something that, or no, it was a TV show that Lydia was watching, and that t- so a teenager TV show, and they were like digging through someone's closet, and they're like they were, they found a pair of New Balance tennis shoes, and they're like this guy must be over fifty. <laughs> what? <laughs> These are not and over I, fifty I shoes. I felt hurt too because I love New Balance because they have okay a white toe that. box. Well, I'm questioning. I got Porter some New Balance tennis shoes for Christmas. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> I'm you. questioning that choice. No, no it's way. Hoka or whatever that is. <laughs> there you, that is the that's. Uh, well, so Aaron shoe. Aaron came up to our house apparently for the first time, but went to the Brodskys two doors down. Instead. What's up, Brodskys? <laughs> Sorry I missed you guys tonight. <laughs> really looking forward to hanging out in your living room and getting to know you guys. That would have been really great. But you eventually found us, and we're so glad yeah. you're here. Yeah, I'm glad I made it. Thank you guys for having me. Okay, so how long have you been on staff at Dallas Bible Church? Yeah, started in the summer of 2015, so that puts us at seven and a half years ago. I've gotten so. to the age now that I feel like, like seven years ago still feels like really recent. Oh yeah. Where like 2015. I'm like, if I see a movie that's from 2015, it feels like, like yesterday. Oh, that's not an old movie. And my kids are like, that's so long ago. 
Yeah, I but, definitely feel like that. So it feels seven like years. yesterday. So, yeah. And it's all been roses and rainbows. Well, so, wait, that, wait, so we're, we keep talking about our favorite expressions. You said it, it, it was like seven years ago, and it feels like yesterday. My favorite Annie Mooney expression was in during COVID times. So the Moonies came, came over to our house like the weekend before like all the restaurants shut down and everything. So it's Saturday they came over, and then Monday like the restaurants all shut down and it was shelter in place, right? Uh-huh. And so two months after that, Annie and I were talking on the phone and I said, can you believe that was two months ago? Y'all were at our house. And she goes, I know it feels like it was two weeks ago, but the longest, worst two weeks of my life. <laughs> that's so true. That's a good way of describing it. And that's every, and what was funny to me is like every point, every point in COVID, it, like you could still convince me that like two years in, I'm like, it feels like it was two weeks ago, but mm-hmm. the longest, worst two weeks of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you don't think this has been the longest, worst seven years of your life. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. No, it's been awesome the past seven years. I mean, I, you know, there was a little gap in the, you know, not too distant past. Uh, there was a little blip on the radar and everything. But apart from that, my gosh, it's been it's been awesome. And I've dreamed about that forever and most of my life. So, uh, yeah, I was I was pretty pumped to come to DVC. Well, and I feel like most people who go to DVC regularly know some about your life. Um, and, and I think that's something I appreciate about you as a pastor is that you are willing to share um, about your personal life. Mm-hmm. But um, let's back up more than seven years. Let's back up like 20 years ago when you were just a young lad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 20 years ago, like right after I was born. Yeah. Um, well, you're no. over 50 because you wear those New no. Balance shoes. Over 50. <laughs> And these are awesome shoes that the high schoolers wanted. They we'll just put that out there. They're like, when I'm 50, I want those shoes. That's exactly right. Well, tell us about um, little Aaron growing up, what yeah. life was like, how you came to know Christ. Yeah, I, you know, I, I have shared a lot at the church and everything, but, um, you know, I was born in Spring, Texas. Family has been there for the past 42 years. My parents just moved to Dallas this past year and so got rid of that home, but was born in... Uh, was raised in Spring, Texas. Actually, born in Tallahassee, Florida. That's my Florida connection. Mm. I love uh, the Florida Gators. I know Tallahassee Seminoles. But, yeah. My dad. So my dad is the Florida Gators. My mom is the Florida State Seminoles. And those two sides of the family went to war pretty much every single Thanksgiving on that rivalry. And so just after I was, after I was born, uh, we moved to Spring, Texas, and that rivalry continued. And so grew up cheering for the Florida Gators and everything. But um, I'm the third of four kids. I've got two other brothers and a sister. And, uh, and so we kind of grew up in a, um, quite honestly, I look back at my family and I'm like, I praise God. And I'm, mm. I'm, I'm so thankful for my family um, all the time. I have uh, incredible affection for all of them. Uh, my parents are still married to this day. Uh, they've been faithful believers as long as I've been b- mm. born and so, you know, my testimony is one of those testimonies for the longest time. I was very insecure about it because I didn't have that, that really difficult. Ripped from the darkness. Right. It's yeah. like I wasn't addicted and, and, and out and all this stuff. And then it wasn't any of those things. I grew up in a home where I saw the gospel kind of lived out in a very real way. Uh, my parents were very faithful. My mom was a BSF teaching leader for 20 plus years. Oh, wow. Uh, knew the word God still does and taught it very well to us. My dad was faithfully serving left and right, just this gentle, humble, godly man that was, uh, we would get up in the morning, we'd see him before anybody was up, just down there, just praying with a small little light on in his room. And you could hear his prayers and he just had a gentle soul and a, mm. 
um, just an authenticity to the way that he that he loved the Lord that was you couldn't argue with it a whole lot. And so um, good relationship with the siblings. And so I came up and right around five or six years old, we'd been in the church and and uh, I came home and asked my parents, basically, I was like, what does it mean to be a Christian? I've been hanging out with my across the street neighbor. He's like, hey, let's go. He mentioned something about Christian music. And I asked him, I was like, what in the world does that mean? He's like, you don't know what a Christian is? I was like, no. He's like, you need to go ask your parents. And little did I know, my parents, that was kind of their evangelism strategy with me. It was very much a, we don't want to push anything on you. We're not going to force you into anything because we can, you know, you can push and you can, you can impose your faith on a kid easy. And they never wanted to do that. And they always prayed. They're like, okay, Lord, when you are ready to get a hold of their affections, let mm. them come and ask. And so that was the night. Came back wow. and asked them what it meant to be a Christian. And I remember sitting in the living room with them, and they explained the gospel to me. And I was like, oh, my. I remember all I can remember specifically was kind of the emotion of it. I remember being like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. I get to be with God forever. And Jesus loved me that much and that kind of a thing. And so I prayed with my parents right then and there. And then I went and grabbed my little brother, and mm-hmm. I was like, Micah, Micah, come on, you gotta get, you gotta, you gotta hear this. And he came down and we talked with him, and he prayed to receive the Lord then too. And oh. then I remember getting him getting They got up. a twofer. Twofer. How about that? That was a pretty good <laughs> That's night, pretty right? Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And, it ain't uh, bad. <laughs> and then I remember grabbing it like we loved like most bizarre thing. I was like, come on, buddy, let's go get a hot dog. And we like went and got it. I was We're like, gonna seal this deal we, right we, now. We get saved and then go eat a raw hot dog and like ruin the entire evening. Well, so hot dogs <laughs> aren't raw, they're already cooked. Yeah. Is that true? They're like, you don't you can eat a hot dog uh, cold. Yeah. You can. I don't think you should. No, yeah. no, no. Agreed. You're not cooking meat. You're not Agreed. cooking. No, it's nitrates. There's so many nitrates in there. It's like <laughs> no, it's true. We did not die from it. We did not get terribly sick, but it still happened. And, it probably and our have. dog, we cut it up and just put pill his pills and his hydroxyzine. <laughs> he's fine. Steve's doing great. He's fine, except for his weird <laughs> Steve didn't look okay out there. I don't know. <laughs> no, he does not. It could be the hot dog. <laughs> Maybe that's what it could be traumatized Maybe that he's, he's eating hot dogs. To- you know, I'm like, that's not good for dogs. That's but. right. He's like, basically, well, it's not cannibalism because it's... It's, it's, it's pigs. <laughs> so you ate a cold dog. We cold ate a cold dog. dog. And so that's where my faith journey really began. And, um, and so kind of growing up, I had, you know, my, my sister is 10 years older than me and my brother is eight years older mm-hmm. than I am. And so, um, they were faithful too. And mm-hmm. so I had great, good relationships with them. And my older brother in a lot of ways took me under his wing. He was that older brother that was a really good mentor and, he was not the competitive. He was not the, hey, you're the annoying kid, get away from me thing. And he's, he's in ministry too, right? Or was? Yes. Wasn't he Annie's youth pastor? Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, he was. Yeah, when he was here at, at Dallas Seminary way back in the day, yeah, he was uh, Annie Mooney's youth pastor. That's so funny. I knew Annie back in the high school days. And so, yeah, that was fun. But So that's kind of the home that we grew up in a little bit. And, um, and so I never struggled with faith early on. And that could be the downfall of it all, right? Sure. Mm. The downfall of it all is it could be so easy and simple. It's never challenged or tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm. it doesn't truly become your own. And, um, and so uh, you could take it for granted. You know, you can lean on your parents' faith. But you I'm can guessing lean on your it's brother's been challenged faith. and tested. It has. <laughs> it Want has. to tell us about a time where it was challenged and tested? Oh, yeah. Um, so coming out of, uh, I'd say it, my faith began early on. We got to the sophomore year of high school, and that was kind of a defining moment, a place when I would say that's the time it really, really, really became my own. 
stepped away from the church bubble kind mm. of a thing, kept a, stepped away from the immaturity of being a young kid. And kind of, we were out at a youth retreat and everything. And I remember just being out there and it was just a very personal time. We were out in Enchanted Rock, if y'all have ever been out to Fredericksburg, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. But we were doing the beautiful. youth group spring break retreat and everything. And uh, I just got a sense of the goodness of God, the power of God in a way that was very powerful and real. And I remember coming back, and that was the time in high school you're kind of struggling with your identity a little bit. Which friends am I going to be with and mm-hmm. which direction am I going to go? And so I was, I would consider, faith began early, but I was very kind of middle of the road in how I practice with my friends. I mean, mm-hmm. friends are going one way with temptations and drinking and smoking and all these kinds of things. And I never got into there. I did get into a little bit of petty vandalism and things. And those were kind of, my friends were going away. Tell us more about the petty vandalism. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you want to hear some pick, of that stuff? We're going to pick the worst part of your story you and pick it apart. Oh, like, gosh. Rolling? Like, well, and, and not so- that stuff, so, like golf courses and... Uh, <laughs> I, we would get out. No, you, you don't really want to know those stories. A little bit, but you can do it. <laughs> I feel like some part of me, I'm like, I would die if my child did that. Like, oh gosh, don't do that. But part of me, I'm like, well, those are the best stories. You're like, you you well, got to have something to be able to tell later were on. Were you worse, or worse than Hank Denny at age seven when we went to <laughs> Canyon, Texas, uh, Paladura Canyon? We stayed uh, with some of our neighbors, not the Brodskys, but some of our yeah. neighbors. And the boys went out exploring and they own, you know, like acres of land. And um, what we did not know was that out on those acres of land that the boys were just running around on was a kind of beat up trailer and some spray paint. Yes. And Hank Denny at seven years old saw that beat up trailer and was thinking trash and their spray paint. I want to try my hand at some <laughs> spray graffiti. paint in the, the entire trailer, not the entire trailer. Ooh. They just, you know. Just, just marked little, it up. Just some petty vandalism. Uh-huh. And then we get home and I get a phone call from the Airbnb owner. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was I was maybe in tears and maybe thinking that Hank Denny's life was like headed down. His story was sealed. Oh, man. Yeah, his story was sealed. He was headed for jail. Criminal. Awesome. He's a criminal. No, ours was not spray painting places, but it was it was it was golf courses. There was a golf course in the back of our neighborhood, and we'd go out there and hang out in the woods. We would hit the balls back at the drivers. They would drive off. We'd run out there, moon them, and we'd you know do stuff in the you know well, and the, out the, there. And that was always a lot of fun. Do the things heart to the, is yeah. you're, there's this pull in adolescence when where you're like, uh, well, like I've been noticing with Porter lately. Whenever there's some content like in a movie or adults are talk- talking and it's like a little bit naughty or someone says a bad word or someone makes a reference to like sex or something, she like extra laughs to be like, look, I'm cool. I get it. And I, th- I think I've there's this. It. It's not yes, a- I've noticed it. I see it. I think it's hilarious, even though I don't even think she thinks it's that funny. I think there is this pool. Well, and still today at 44 to be cool. To be like, look, I'm cool. I'm down with you guys. I I can be bad or I can think bad things are funny. And I don't, I mean, taking a stand at any age is hard, but it's especially hard when you're a teenager and, and, and so much of your brain is consumed by what people think about you. Yeah. Yeah. We have a theory, um, we're, we're, you know, you're, we're Enneagram enthusiasts and we have a, a theory that like, to some degree, all teenagers are threes, like the performer, their achiever. (laughs) <laughs> like they care too. They care way too much what other people think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I was definitely the 
if it looked fun, if it looked like a fun thing to do, that's what I wanted to go do. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I yeah, absolutely wanted to be approved by, of by the, my friends and everything. And so, yeah, that was kind of the, the tension, you know, you're like, you're growing up and you're figuring things out and then your friends are going one direction and that's kind of where I am Monday through Saturday. And then I go to mm-hmm. church and I've got this thing happening over here and I'm sitting there kind of going, okay, I did the Sunday school thing. I was the church kid and, and, uh, and you're like, I, fe- I started feeling a really strong tension and I've started becoming very aware of a strong hypocrisy in me. That was the biggest thing mm-hmm. coming into sophomore year was like, my mouth is not honoring to the Lord. I was, you know, my mouth, it was dirty, filthy and all this stuff. I'm going and running in these crowds over here and we're doing bad things back in the golf course and probably should have been arrested and, you know, things like that. And you're like, I felt the tension and the mm-hmm. hypocrisy. And, um, and so I very clearly, uh, I remember one particular dream I woke up from, but I was, uh, I was walking on top of the fence. We always play these games in the backyard, these kind of, you know, hide and go seek flashlight freeze tag kind of things when it's pitch black. But I, we'd always jump over these fences and I had this vivid, vivid dream of walking on the fence and looking over mm-hmm. to the right side and seeing my Christian church crowd, looking at the left side, seeing this other crowd, and going back and forth in my head, going, I don't know which side to jump off of. And, uh, and in the dream, I slit, I fell, I, you know, it's the whole, you, you don't want to straddle a fence kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And so I came out of that Aaron, and then I us. went to, you want me to, <laughs> no, nope, yeah. that's okay. Let's I move on. Go that ahead. It's, uh, that this is more important. So, um, but yeah, that was the time. And so, and shortly after that is when we went to the Enchanted Rock thing and God got a hold mm-hmm. of me. And it was real. That's when I started to discover really the beauty of God. I came back and started opening the word of God for the first time and reading it myself and not just family devotions and things like that. And, and, uh, started devouring and started discovering who he was and, uh, the, the beauty of his grace. I always kind of talk about that in my testimony. I was a religious kid and it was by God's grace, I discovered the beauty of his grace. Mm -hmm. Like I could have easily been that, that, um, the religious, staunch, legalistic, religious person my entire life, angry at everyone else, correcting everybody else, self-righteous in all my ways. And, uh, you know, God's grace whacked me over the head young. And, uh, and I don't think I I really got over that. And that was kind of when worship began in me Mm -hmm. and everything. And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where if ever there was makings of a pastor, it's going to be having a dream when you're a teenager about like which, which path to, to choose. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, and you know, <laughs> you said something earlier that I think like, I think that resonates with a lot of people, not me because it wasn't my story, but, but a lot of people who grew up in the church where they sometimes kind of think of their testimony, um, like because it doesn't have the CD other than the mooning on the golf golf field. That was yeah. That's the whole like it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have the darkness or like I've I've said sometimes where it's like for me um you know my conversion story like I literally feel like I was saved like it it doesn't it's not just theoretical like I feel like I was rescued um that doesn't that's probably not what my kids experience is right or God I hope not right so. But, but, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not. And yet like, uh, we're like, we're reading with our kids, like the new Testament in a year. And we just read this this week. I think it was yesterday, like the story of the prodigal son. And I love that story. I love that story because there, because there's two sons 
Yeah. And um mm-hmm. and they have very different stories and they both mm-hmm. get rescued mm-hmm. and That's they it. both are desperately loved and they both just get their face held and go and like I, I mean it's it's just a different story. And I think that's exactly what I was saved out of was the the potential of being that second son that was mm-hmm. always with the father, took it for granted, became self-righteous in every way, um, hypocritical in his ways, unable to rejoice at the work of the father and saving the, the prodigal. And mm-hmm. and um and I think that's the danger. But, and tell so I had he, to but tell me that second son didn't experience his grace when when the father says to him, Everything I have is always yours. It's mm-hmm. always like, been right. yours. It's always been yours. Mm-hmm. And he never saw that. He never yeah. saw that. And and that's the that's my praise God as I look back on it. I had to go through a lot of years of kind of insecurity about that story. I'm like, nobody wants to hear that story. And then I was like, I was just as lost and dead in my sin mm-hmm. as the one who was wandering far away mm-hmm. and has the, you know, the criminal record to prove it. Mm-hmm. And I had to really come to that reality. It was like my no, 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 self-righteous religiosity is just as horrific in the presence of a holy God as the one who's got, you know, the track record and everything else. And, uh, and that's what he really convicted me of over time was this, Hey, you have no idea how far away you were from, uh, from under, from knowing me and how much you needed me to break in there and set you free. And so I've come and, to appreciate and at some that level, over time. The rescue to me, like I, I realize like for me, it's not hard to see the rescue, mm. but that like that, his God's show offy ways uh, is, is almost like in that story bigger mm-hmm. because just like the person that was never poor, like to, to like, because they don't, because God has to break in there for you to see the dependency. You don't yeah. have this, like this rock bottom place where you like the dependency is automatically there. It's like, God has to re- like open your eyes to the room. There's not the, that yeah. desperation. Yeah. It, it, but yeah. it's, it, there is that desperation. Oh, for sure. You're just blind to it. Yeah. Well, and, and I was thinking too, it. like yeah. it's almost more miraculous that God can rescue us out of those less obvious sins. Yeah. yeah. You know, when, when, uh, you know, I have clients that, um, are addicts They're and, and they're trying to cut out drinking or drugs or sex out of their lives. And that's a really obvious thing. They're trying they... to become teetoddlers. Yeah, teetoddlers. <laughs> Let's, all right. That's a, that's a callback to something dumb I said. Super fun. Um, but they, they, there is something very obvious that they're wanting to eliminate from their lives. Yeah. But the clients I have that struggle with pride or self-righteousness or like judgment of the people in their lives and they keep losing relationships. Those are harder to work with than the really obvious stuff. So basically what I'm saying is I'm like God. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's what what it sounded like. Yes. But no, I I can, I I just think that that is harder when there's not this desperation and no one's going like, so self-righteousness is a big yeah. sin. You know, your youth group's probably not talking a lot about that. Yeah. That's why, I, you know, one of my favorite stories in scripture is the sinful woman who comes and, and crashes Jesus's dinner party. And she's got the, uh, the vial of perfume and she breaks it open, pours it open over Jesus's mm. feet. And all the disciples are horrified by that and everything. And, and Jesus looks up and he's like, yeah, she's, she knows how much she's been forgiven. She's coming and like giving everything as a result of an understanding how much grace has been applied to her life. 
and they didn't have that same reaction. There's a closeness there that can lull you to sleep. Mm-hmm. In a well, what, I love mm-hmm. the, I love the juxtaposition in that story of like, does she not know what that's worth? And it's like, no, she knows. She knows exactly, exactly what mm-hmm. it's worth. Like, and mm-hmm. she knows she knows how worthy he is of it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, this goes on his feet, and that's I will gladly pour it out on on him. And so, uh, yeah, and and that's always been my prayer. I love that story, and I've always been the God. Like I, I, I know where I came from, and I know that I've always had that closer proximity in a lot of ways, and a lot of privileged ways there. But Father, don't ever let me get lulled to sleep. Let me always worship you with the same heart as that woman that knows how mm-hmm. lost and dead in, in my sins I really was, and how much grace I needed in order to save me and to and to bring me back home to Him. And so, you know, that's been the thing. And the cool thing is, I feel like the more that I've dug into the truth of God's word and discovered his beauty, more I've grown in him, the more that disparity between his holiness and my sinfulness has become real mm-hmm. and concrete. It's like you grow in understanding and I, I sit there and I'm like going, oh my gosh, look how far away I've been my entire life. Mm-hmm. Look how look how enormous uh, his grace is. Look how far he went to come and to get me. And so it has not made me you know, coming out of seminary and things like that, it made me aware of how much I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And it made me how aware of how broken I was and how awesome he is. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of this thing that, uh, he's kind of done I in remember, me over the years. I remember but. my college pastor one time pointing out like with the Pauline epistles, how as Paul's faith grew, like as Paul's, uh, time as a Christian, like grew, what, how he identified himself, like his humility grew, like we're yeah. like, we're, we're like, where he's the chief, chief of, sinners, of sinners. Yeah. And like, and, and, but like how that just kind of escalated mm-hmm. over time That's with it. the dates of the epistles, like when he wrote them, how, like we're like what towards the end, like where he's like, and I am the chief of sinners. That's, like, yeah. That's exactly been, that's, that's absolutely been it. And I so, totally knew that reference as well. Even though I didn't go to seminary, <laughs> I believe I saw you. I was, about, I was college, about to say it. My and then college I let, pastor oh, told me, oh, okay. and I can't even think of what he called himself before that. I bet Aaron could. Hmm. But. Well, I and I, I think that as yes, as your awareness grows of your own depravity, your desperation grows. Yeah. Regardless of if it's a a, a you know a big obvious struggle or yeah. just a slowly eating away at your heart, silent struggle. Yeah. And then, and, and that desperation turns to appreciation, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where the affection grows and that's where worship is kind of born out of. And, and, and so I've always just, um, you know, just enjoyed, you know, just being mm-hmm. able to emote and enjoy, uh, his goodness and his grace. And well, and you said something kind of, when you were talking about your teenage years, um, that he really became real to you. Yeah. And that's what, that, like, when we pray at night with our kids, that's our top prayer is yeah. that God would just be, the realness of God would be so obvious to our children. That's right. Because, I'm, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. Parents are still married. It was, you know, my friends teased me that they called it the rainbow farm because I, mm-hmm. I thought everybody had the same story that I had. But there was, you know, it's it's easy for it to not be really, really real. Yeah. And, and th- just like this thing that you, a way you live, it's very, it can be cultural or, or like that's exactly family. It. And culture. I think that's the big trap that we run into in Christian circles and the Bible belt in Dallas where it's safe and protected for the most part. And, 
which is why, you know, you always hear me say this kind of from the front, but our prayer, my prayer specifically for our students, as they grow into maturity and become their own people, that a lot of them are coming to faith early on. But, you know, th- that's the trapping. The trapping is comfort. The trapping is, oh, it's my, you know, I'm, I'm faith by association with my parents mm-hmm. or faith by association with this youth group that I was a part of or the church that I attended and stuff. And you're like, no, 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 no. And so my, my prayer for all of our students is, God, would you give them a moment? And mm-hmm. uh, It's not a, hey, are you saved again kind of a thing, but would you give them a moment where they step away from that and they say, no, 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 Jesus, you're my savior. I asked Caleb that at, at his baptism this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. I said, Caleb, are you here? Because, um, because I've pressured you or mommy has. or And he goes, no, 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 no. No, he's like, this is my decision. Mm. And I was like, that's it. And I was like, I want to know that this is, I was like, if we walk away, something bad happens to us, you know, the, the world burns up. Are you still going to follow Jesus and know that he's worthy? Mm. And so that's always been the prayers that our students kind of get to that, you know, hey, I want you to discover the beauty of, uh, of Jesus and know that he's worthy when you're the only person at Pierce High School, Richardson High School, wherever you may be, and you're the only one that is going to be faithful to him, know that he's worthy. Mm-hmm. Know that he's worthy. And, and, and be like, I'm, I'm willing to walk it alone. And so that was kind of it. When that time, sophomore year of high school, I was like, okay, I'm not going to keep playing the hypocritical game. I'm going to walk with him. And it was lonely for a season because it was mm-hmm. like, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to I was like, my youth group went overwhelmingly to my rival high school and I kept, I was praying for friends, like big time friends. And I had mm-hmm. one good friend and he and I in the youth group, we really got really, really close. And, uh, he was kind of my, my, my boy for the rest of high school. And we had good cordial friendships with other people, but it didn't go to the deep levels that it mm-hmm. used to and that kind of a thing. And so, um, yeah, that kind of, you, I mean, and you provided. had to discover early you, you had to make that choice early that he is worthy, yeah. even though, and not that always choosing Jesus doesn't make life suck now, but there was, you, there was, you were sacrificing. You yeah. had to let some things go that felt good to hold on to. Yeah. It's like everybody wants popularity. Everybody right. wants to be liked and included in all the things. And those were my friends growing up. And it was just like, all right, I'm not going to sell out to be popular and to be in the end group. And even though there was a love, I, I never divorced them from mm-hmm. school and things of like that. Like we always had an affection and a, a friendliness and a, and a kindness and everything all around there. But it was death, definitely, a, I'm just, you know, I'm not going to engage in a lot of the things that. that well, and that I think it showed your awareness into. of your limitations of if I'm hanging out with those people oh, too yeah. much. I, I knew that I was, I was not at a resilient place where I would be leading them. Mm-hmm. I was definitely a, uh, I want their approval. <laughs> so I really wanted that bad. And it, there are some high schoolers can get to that place where I think that they become the main influencer and the leader. Mm-hmm. That's very few. And that was not me at that time. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so I was like, uh, I needed to have some boundaries on the weekends and some of the other places that I knew temptation was just going to be really strong for me. Yeah. And Temptation is strong for me. I'm a seven. I like fun. I like engagement and fun. You like to I'm say like, yes. I, yeah, we do I'm not like, censor. We do not censor. <laughs> That's right. You heard that. Um, so yeah, that was that would have easily been a big trapping. And so anyway, but well, we kind of came out of that. You asked about a difficult time, and and I feel like it got tested a lot um, coming out of high school. And so mm-hmm. the end of the high school days, it was one of these things where 
okay, I knew, especially senior year, I was like, I knew I, I love the Lord. I feel like it's probably ministry is where I'm going. I don't know exactly what that means. I didn't know if I had a, I didn't know what kind of gifts I had at that time. And so um, we came out of that, and I think you guys have probably heard me share this story at church or anything before, but... Well, I'm guessing if you were like, I'm going to go into ministry, I want to be as close to God as possible. Texas A&M. Texas A&M. That's it. Where yeah. else would I go? Oh, I That's thought he was going to tell the story about whenever he dressed up like this, the, the wrestler. No. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Y'all, I've, pa- I've painted the, I, there's been more body about, paint on me at games. One thing I love and... about Aaron Armstrong is, I, I, a joke I always tell about myself is I have five good stories, you'll hear them, you'll hear them over and over. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, I loved wrestling. You know, I know. Wrestling was fun. Anyway, but, uh, tell us, so tell us. So Sorry. coming out, it's like, I only applied at A&M. I wanted to be closer to the family. I, did, I was not a huge A&M fan, but it was a good school relatively nearby, and I could stay connected with my brother. And um, that meant a lot. And so I applied to A&M. And honestly, I took it for granted. My grades were fine. Uh, all the activities, all the peripherals should have been fine. And I early applied. And four times my senior year, my application got sent back to me on technicalities. Mm. And I was like, what in the this world? Was pre, this was like pre-internet, like pre-internet, regular yes, internet that's where right. you fill out It's like you're mailing on, things yes, in. You're like, oh, yes. it's lost in the mail. Yeah. Now it's returned. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it returned to sender. And you're like, that happened four times mm. that year. And so I was like, oh my, I didn't have backup plans because everything should have been fine, fine with mm-hmm. A&M. I had my plans made with my best friends to go live out there, and we had a great group of, of friends out there. Um, and so all the plans were there. And by the time that that final letter came back at the end of senior year high school, it was a rejection letter. You're you're not a, you're not accepted this year. Automatically accepted for next year, though. And I was like, well, crud! What in the world am I going to do? Um, for the next year. But I remember like when that happened, I was furious, just furious, angry. I mean, went to the, li- went to the bedroom, started th- throwing things, t- temper mm-hmm. tantrum, the whole thing. Mooned the golf. Mooned like the such world. Such an injustice. I was like, yes, this is what I think about this day. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and sat down. And after a long time, a pity party, parents came in and mom came in and we opened up and just started just talking and uh, I remember resting in some of the Psalms, be still, know that I am God. And mm. kind of coming back to this, these foundational truths, it was like, all right, God's bigger than this. And just laying it down, they kind of helped me in that moment slow down and just say, okay, this is the most bizarre thing that's really taken place. Um, clearly God may be in this. Don't disregard, don't take that for granted. And so we held it loosely, And but that was the graduation that I'm finding this stuff out. Oh, and I'm like, gosh. well, what the heck? It was probably Mayish, mm. and I was like, "What in the world are we going to do this next year now?" And so um, we go off, and I, I got this letter from my mom, this lady in Colorado. Uh, my mom had led her to the Lord, and she came back and just had this this dream. She wrote a letter. I want to support Aaron to go to this ministry in Colorado. That's like this apologetics kind of mm. defend your faith type of a ministry. I didn't know anything about it. I'm like. I had no idea what that was. She's paying for me to go to Colorado for two weeks. I was like, fine, I've got nothing else going on this summer. I don't know what to do. Who likes Colorado? What mm-hmm. a dumb Right? Nobody wants summer. to go to Colorado in the summertime. <laughs> it's the no. worst. It's the greatest place in the world. Um, so that's what we did. And I, I went out there, and it's basically like two weeks of intensive prepare you for college because college life ain't like youth group life. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's kind of preparation for how to defend your faith. You better know what you believe because those professors, they will try to destroy it, trash it, and they will challenge everything that you've ever done. 
And so it was, it was an incredible time, came back, applied at the community college, and didn't really know what to do. I was like, I guess I'm staying home. Tomball Community College it is right now. <laughs> and so I uh, was so disappointed, but I signed up for a philosophy class, and that's where I met Dr. Norwood. Dr. Norwood was this 80-year-old atheist philosophy professor that was exactly what Summit Ministries was talking about. The one on, you've seen the movie, what was the cheesy movie that was out not long ago? Uh, God's Not Dead. Mm-hmm. You know, have you, I never saw it. Mm-mm. I saw the preview. It, it I was, was like, uh, by, the, by the producers of Firepower? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I couldn't bring myself to watch it. Was that what that movie was called? Fireproof, I think. Fireproof. Fireproof. Sad okay. I know that. But oh, it's yeah. in, in that vein. Oh, yeah. Okay. But what's funny is I can imagine myself as a pretty sheltered 18-year-old kid going to this thing in Colorado and being like, okay, this is, you know, good information. I'm glad. But like real world, I'm probably never going to face a scenario where I have to apply yeah. this. And then like your first class is a first real class. world scenario. First class was well, absolutely I'm, that. First, first class, first day was absolutely in your face, challenging. And I, I, I have the testimony on video. I need to go back and look at the exact quotes and stuff like that because I don't remember the exact quotes nowadays. But that first class was like, holy cow. I remember sitting in class going like, this is exactly what we've been talking about. Hmm. I mean, just antagonistic, tearing apart the gospel and wow. all this stuff. And I was like, and I remember, you know, raising my hand and, and interacting with them in a, um, in as good as a way as I knew how as a freshman in college and stuff and trying to, um, come back there and stuff. But we, uh, we, I stayed after class and we talked and I developed a relationship with him where, um, where that was, it kept on for that entire year. And it was an interesting thing because I came back that day, told my parents, I was like, I think, I think that this is what God has for me here this year was Dr. Norwood. I think that this is, there's something here. And, um, there was a number of things that happened all semester long with, you know, uh, the basic, all the doubts about the, the validity of the Bible, the validity of scripture and the Christianity and all the different things. And I knew the answers and I knew how to engage in a respectful way in the classroom. And so we did that. And after classes, like students would come talk to me and they, we would have these conversations about, um, about faith and, and everything else. And I did the same things with him and we developed a great relationship. And, um, and so we came out of that at the end of the semester, I was like, I got to sign up for two more of his classes. So he was teaching two more classes. I signed up for him and we continued that friendship. And I remember coming to class one day and, and, uh, he gave me, he goes, he goes, I'm going to kick it off a different way. He goes, Aaron, I want, I'm going to give you five minutes. You have five minutes to tell people about the basics of what you believe about God. And I got to stand in front of the classes. Like who gets wow. that? Like what happens is that? So it's like, it was incredible. It's a whole year of multiple classes and things going on interactions in the class, defend the faith. Here's the atheist. Here's, you know, philosophy position. Here's the Christian position, conversations with students. And, uh, three weeks left in the semester comes Dr. Norwood walks in, he writes on the school board. He goes, I have cancer. And he writes this on the, on the thing today will be my last day. Every class is dismissed. And he walks out the room. We read that on the board and he's gone. And we've been praying for him, and I've been having all these interactions, mm-hmm. these gospel presentations, come back to the faith kind of a thing. And he would deny, deny, deny. And uh, I remember coming back home being so devastated. And it's like, how do I get a hold of him? And I was like, this can't be it. This can't be the end. And uh, he went off to go get cancer treatment, was gone. And 
through the school, I found they were able to mail some things for me. So I kept mailing them letters and everything. Went back to Summit Ministries that summer, just dejected and kind of going, what in the crud was that about? Mm-hmm. And, um, Thanks, God. Yeah, yeah, what was that? Yeah. And uh, uh, But everything that I learned those two weeks at, at the uh, ministry in Colorado was so relevant. Came back and did it again. And the last day that I was there, I got a, a letter um, from them, from his widow, that made its way out to me in Colorado, let me know that he had passed away and was crushed, absolutely crushed. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This guy, like mm. all of these conversations, all of these clear God moments all year long and nothing's coming from it. And I got to share a testimony of the interactions because it was exactly what Summit Ministries was talking about all year long. And there's a lot of God movement there, but we came back home that year that I was home. I met, my current best friend. And that was another incredible story there. We developed this high school ministry for students and stuff. And that's where I got my first taste of teaching and preaching a little bit. And I came home one night and I was supposed to speak at this thing the next day. No idea what I was going to preach on. It was about midnight. I got back. There was a letter on the, on the table is also from his widow. And I open it up and she just starts talking about, Hey, I'm so-and-so I am, I'm Dottie. I am Dr. Norwood's widow. And anyway, he let me, he told me all about your relationship and I saw the mm-hmm. letters that you sent and all these things. And, uh, I wanted to let you know, he's been reading all of the things, the Bible that you sent, he's been considering all these things. And I don't know exactly what happened, but I'll let you know that in those final breaths, he said, Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. I can't believe it's real. I can't believe it's real. And she goes, I thought you'd want to know that. Wow. I thought you'd want to know that. And I came back and it was just kind of one of these things where I was like, oh my gosh, like icing on the cake. God, you did not need to give me any of that affirmation. Mm-hmm. You didn't need to kind of tie that neat little bow on the end of the story. I, I would I would have been sad hanging in limbo, not knowing what was happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. But my gosh, you didn't need to give me that. And I remember waking up my parents in the middle of the night. Ugh. I was like, mom and dad, I was like, it happened. He came mm-hmm. to faith, you know, all this stuff. And, and it was just this kind of this, um, oh my gosh, I was like, God, I can trust you. Mm-hmm. I can trust you when I've got no idea what you're doing with my future. Mm-hmm. And you look at that year and I was like, I was angry and I was pissed and I didn't think I could trust you. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that you were reliable. But he doesn't waste time. He doesn't mm-hmm. waste time and he goes after it. That was the year I started volunteering at my youth group and, and just got to start teaching and started to discover, okay, you know, I might have a teaching, preaching gift and something in church ministry, pastoral kind of things. And, and that got shaped all year long. And I look back at that year, I'm like, man, God's hand was all over it. Mm-hmm. God's hand, I, I, I can't doubt him again with my future. Mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, it was an interesting time full of disappointment on the front end and, and full of restoration and redemption on the back end. And it's marked me mm-hmm. forever. It's just been like I... You know, it, it, it took kind of um, a lot of question marks that I had uh, early in. God, what do you want to do with my life? How, what am I supposed to do with anything? Mm-hmm. And, and it just cemented it and just said, okay, all I know is that proximity with God is the way to be. And when he, <laughs> I'm going to do my best to figure out where he's taking off, mm-hmm. where he's going and just follow closely in his footsteps. And so, you know, that's where it went from there. And, um, I love when God doesn't do gentle nudges, but when oh, he like man. flat out like full Heisman pushes you, <laughs> he's like, here's a letter from his widow. Right. Look what I did this last year. 
Like, trust me. That's right. Like, in your face. You can't deny that this is exactly what was supposed to happen. That's exactly right. Well, so um, usually we ask a guest, um, like, kind of like a, a, a period of struggle. And then, like, what God's taught you through that. And we usually let the guest select that. Mm. But... Um, uh, we're not. We're we're, we're going to select it for you. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you're presenting this like it's a gotcha moment. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. Not at all. Not at all. But I. But I'm like I do. I think um, it's sometimes we 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 tease Annie because sometimes Annie will say something like really obvious, like like she'll she'll like basically describe your whole life to you and go, does that sound true to you? And it's like the truest thing that you've ever heard, but she says it with like this great humility. Like, does that sound true? Um, I, I, I think that there can be no doubt that this was one of the deepest struggles, deep, hardest part periods of yeah. your life um, was the crap show that was 2020. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like I said, we're picking it for you. <laughs> Does that feel true to you? <laughs> yes. Oh, does my it, gosh, you nailed me. So okay. prophetic. Does it feel true to you? I mean, I don't want to pick it for you, but does that feel true to you? Like, maybe that year was one of the hardest years of your life. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. We'll pick up the rest of our conversation with Pastor Aaron on the next episode of Embarrassment of Riches. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.